Everybody, welcome to another installment of Show to View with Mike G, the show of life, the show of University of Houston Mescal wine tasting and recording a chat on the patio of Las Perlas here in Austin, Texas. If you hear some grill noises, some birds, some sirens, that may just explain what you're hearing having recorded on that beautiful patio. Today's guest is the amazing Christopher Stevens of Craft Distillers Inc. Some amazing brands that we're all familiar with, Mescalero. Alapus, Los Nojales, some great mezcales, and he was recently in town to share and teach a mezcal collective at Las Perlas here in Austin. We got a chance to sit down and talk about his life. He's kind of under the radar. He's not necessarily a social media guy, but there's lots of great tips and tricks about his life here and this chat. So without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy this great chat with Christopher Stevens of Craft Distillers, Inc. Ultimately, the gentleman that I couldn't remember is Joel Antonio Cruz. Ah, um, basically, I was—I uh, had just started my current position uh, with Craft Distillers, uh, 2008, 2009. I, I was a fine wine specialist in Hawaii, actually, prior to that. Ter- thankless job. Yeah, re- re- really <laughs> horrific. Horrific position to be drinking wine in Hawaii all day. Sure. Really tough to leave that position, but uh, the wife forced the hand. But nevertheless, uh, coming over and picking up, uh, initially Los Danzantes, which is now known as Los Nahuales here in the United States. Um, you know, again, I, I, had, a, I had a trained uh, uh, wine palate. But, uh, you know, mezcal, the extreme, extreme alcohol, of course, and the extreme flavor profiles just didn't register with me. And uh, though I was selling that product, I, I just, it really didn't, it didn't pounce on me as, as you know, it does now. Right. And uh, it was actually Mezcalero release number one from Yoel Antonio Cruz, which the first time I tasted it, it just absolutely floored me yeah. and changed my life forever. You know, I never... And I used this analogy the other day. So Fugazi for me, right? So Fugazi was very instrumental for me, no pun intended. But I returned Red Medicine, which is like their mid- middle of their career record. I returned it four times because I didn't fucking get it. Sure. And then sure. The, I could get, you know, five bucks here and there returning the CD. But then I finally got it, and it changed my life. Absolutely. So as a wine guy, too, having a distinct chapter in wine, Mezcal is a more rich experience of flavor is it a more abrasive one is it a more creative one what was it what allowed you to actually be able to expand your palate to say i'm going to take all this in it was the depth of flavor in that specific mezcal yeah. uh before it was to me just you know as everyone like oh it's too smoky or oh that extreme alcohol it's just i i can't register it it's tough um but uh no it was it, it was that mezcal that not only had those aspects but much more to it i mean sure. the, the depth of flavor was just insane it's more, more than maybe any 
any drink I've ever had, really? including wine. First kiss of the first love. <laughs> Compared to Sasakaya. Yeah, the, yes, <laughs> you remember these things. Indeed. Know? Well, this story starts out, you know, because everybody's got a tale. You know, maybe some people trying to act, some people trying to have that white-collar job. But you grew up in Houston, studied at the University of Houston. As a kid, academically, were you a science guy? Were you an art guy? What kinds of things were you getting into? Um, I, I definitely have a, a scientific or a mathematical mind, mm. uh, more, more so than the creative mind. I'm very calculated, generally. And, 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 <laughs> uh, and yeah, I mean, I, I, I excelled in mathematics in general if I applied myself. That sure. varied year to year. But uh, Why would you not have applied yourself, Chris? <laughs> Simply not being interested. Yeah. Some things just simply aren't interesting. But then when you think about Mescal, just tie back, proofing it, that's math. How much, how many liters it produces, you go back to math, it takes you back to those roots. Indeed. So deep science background and interest in math. Were your folks in that industry as well? Were they mathematicians? Were they creatives? Not at all. Uh, mom and dad um, were... Uh, I don't know. I don't know how to describe them. Cha- challenge, let's say that. Interesting. Um, neither neither uh, had a degree. Yeah. I was the first in my family. Well, I'm, I'm an only child. So, uh, but, and my dad's an only child. So it, it's not comparing to much. Genetic, but, right? Yeah, Being an only child. Indeed. <laughs> well, I, and I have an only child as well. So, so there you have it. But uh, yeah, they, they, didn't, they didn't have degrees. They had, you know, fairly, you know, not blue collar, but you know, middle class jobs. Sure. Not you know, nothing excelling in terms of education or anything of that it, that nature. So. Yeah. Where did you get the motivation then to say, "Well, I will be the first one to actually complete college"? Because you know, our parents set such a stage for us. Absolutely. Well, I mean, luckily for me, they were they were very set on the fact that I would be going to college. Yeah. And uh, once it came around, unfortunately, they didn't have the economic means to to provide that to me. So. Right. I had to work two jobs while go, you know, supporting myself and paying my, my way through school. I don't want to presume, but were these jobs in the hospitality industry? Indeed. <laughs> at, at, at any given time, I was definitely serving tables. Yeah. Did uh, you enjoy the, the people part of it? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I do love people, which uh, ultimately drew me to psychology. But uh, yeah, the social aspect of it was, was definitely intriguing. Did you find yourself someone that was maybe culinarily or, in a sense, tasting inclined had it you could think about things because dissecting flavor can be mathematical i've uh i've always been hypercritical of my own palate yeah uh, and i still feel like i've got a terrible palate however yes i certainly recognize well-crafted products well-crafted foods yeah. uh, certainly drinks when when i meet them and uh, certainly been exposed to a lot throughout the hospitality industry Nice chapters. You have the wine, get a lot of inter- you know, a lot of experience there, and then the spirits piece here with some brandy at one point, whiskeys, mezcal, so much. So then it, asks, it begs a question with the psychology piece. Do you, when you talk to people, when you think about them, do you think about what makes them tick? Do you want to dig in further as I'm doing right now? I'm actually asking a question for myself through you, Chris. So please. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I'm. Uh, I, well, I'm a very empathetic person, so uh, you know, I. I, I I care about people. Yeah. Uh, and and I'm, I'm very intrigued by everyone's story because obviously everyone has their own and everyone's sure. unique in that way. So I, I, I'm a good listener, actually. Really? I like to listen, indeed. Flipping this on its ear, 
and being interviewed and, in a sense, psychoanalyzed. <laughs> is that, how, how does this feel, this change in dynamic? Um, it, it's, it's abnormal for me. Yeah. I'm not typically the one talking, but, uh, well, unless we're doing something like we are tonight in sure. this Mezcalero presentation. Center stage, but, uh, yeah. You know, I cer certainly I, I step up to the plate when necessary, but uh, certainly prefer to be a, a fly on the wall or yeah. a friend at the side, as it were. It's an interesting thing. Do you feel refilled by people? So you're, you're out, you're traveling, you're educating, you're meeting new people, you're selling as well. Does that help you refill and recharge? Just that kind of connection with people? Absolutely. Uh, to, to be standing at, say, Taste of Ale at a table and have someone come up that's not, you know, yeah. ha has not had uh, Mezcal find them yet. You oh, know, I, I, I like to be the, uh, the source of that if I can. And, and I have been numerous times. And, and a conduit. And indeed, a conduit, uh, you know, absolutely. So to, to see that happen and to observe that, and that's been a big part of uh, this position with craft distillers in general. Yeah. Um, every one of our products is handcrafted and, and, and painstakingly produced. So uh, with that, we spend a lot of money up front in the products. We spend no money in advertising or marketing at all, never mm -hmm. have, even when we built Hangar One Vodka. Uh, and built it to an international brand. Right. Uh, but that was a big part of what we did, just organically building these brands through quality alone and to see people's eyes open up when they experience something that, you know, just completely shifts their mind from what sure. they think, you know, it, it should be, uh, is it, hugely fulfilling. It's robust, it's flavorful, has some depth and passion that perhaps you never experienced before. You know, I mean, these are the things I to describe mezcal, but well-made. Absolutely. Sure. Well, before we get to the chapter with craft distillers, which you guys have been incredibly influential and you have amazing products on the market. In fact, that's San Andres Alapus. That's my bottle for everybody to, to pick up. That's the island bottle. Well, I got 50 bucks, 60 bucks. I got just the pick for you. Absolutely. That one, man. I don't know what it is. It's got everything. It, it's me. very approachable. I've always described it as uh, being feminine. And, yes. and, and, and by no means is that a negative connotation, no, just floral, uh, very approachable, yes. um, maybe less smoke. However, ironically, when I taste them in, in order, that's always the first one. Everyone thinks that's the smokiest, but that's just because it's the first one they taste. They yeah. come back to it and recognize that it's not the case, but very balanced, very approachable. Feminine is a beautiful word for it because it's still insanely insightful and assertive with its flavor and defined. But yet, it does have this sparkly, beautiful, sexy quality to it. Yeah, bright and minerally. Yes. Really coming from the soil types that yeah. it, those, those uh, McGay are grown in. Beautiful thing. All right, so what pulls your leg to go to Hawaii? Why, what takes you, because you finish up school at U of H, probably working a bit more, but what ultimately takes you out to the islands? Uh, well, the island was in... in, in I actually step back before that. One one piece that you're you're certainly not familiar with that'll be interesting is I lived in Dubai for a period of time. So I have a look of a baffled <laughs> look. What what the hell were you doing in Dubai? Um, while studying at psychology at the University of Houston, it's a long story. It's about who I knew, not what I knew. But uh -huh. a Swiss financial company offered me a position to to come out and work in that field yeah. in, in Dubai. Got to live with my best friend for. Uh, you know, a, a period of time, about a year and a half. Oh, that's great. And uh, hang out in Dubai for a year and a half. 
Was there a point at which maybe you became disenchanted with clinical psychology? Uh, yeah, I was at a point, again, working two jobs. I had had a, a fairly decent accident, which uh, w was a pretty big strain in many ways, namely sure. economically. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of things beating down on me at once, and this opportunity to, to travel and have the experience in effectively a third world country, but, you know, yeah. Dubai, uh, the highest standard of living in the world, um, you know, I, I, I took it for the opportunity and the experience. How long in total were you out there? About a year and a half, I, I believe, was, was the total. Can you still get booze there? This is really the salient question uh, for me. <laughs> well, I, I, I can't speak for today, but sure. when I was there, which was prior to the big boom that everyone knows it to be now, yeah, uh, yeah it was very easy to get booze Ubiquitous there. Ubiquitous, even? So, so every, uh, every major hotel had a bar in, in, in the base of it right. that anyone could go in and drink. And then the, uh, the country or state operate or emirate operated uh liquor stores you you would have to have so, something akin to a passport to go there and, and purchase okay. and you're allotted a certain amount if you had this passport well the general manager of our office who was chinese by the way had one he, he had an allocation that was far beyond anything that he could ever consume so he would give it to us and even though it had his picture on it we could walk in and buy whatever we wanted talking about who you know <laughs> Indeed. Right. What kind, man? Just the concept of allocations. What, how much booze are we talking? Is it is it by ounce? Is it by bottle? How? What's the measurement there? Yeah, I mean, it, of course, everything's metric, but I, I don't recall the, exactly what it was. Yeah. But it, it was it was far more than than he needed. An ample amount for even you as well. <laughs> Indeed. So after a year and a half, there's an event. Physically traumatic, or whatnot, to, to your point. But uh, you want to get out of the psychology for a bit, yeah? Yeah, yeah. And 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 then, ironically, I, I wanted to get out of Dubai. Best thing that it taught me was what I took for granted while living here. Yeah. What was the thing you missed the most then? Um, freedom. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we sit here. I feel like a little guilty that I'm here at a mezcaria in Austin, Texas. There's tacos cooking next to us, and then there's a beautiful spirits. So yes, the freedom is. Quite a nice thing. Did you head back to Houston then upon your I, return? I did. I did. The intent was to come back to University of Houston and finish up my degree, yeah. which, which uh, I accomplished. So, yeah, and back into the uh, hospitality industry along the way. So, was there ever a placard with your name on it? Clinical I, psychologist Christopher. No placards. No placards. Uh, in terms of psychology, I guess the greatest accomplishment was being a uh, senior therapist for the largest autism project in the world. Oh, wow. Which was uh, quite rewarding. A amazing work, actually. So Saddening, though? Um, not necessarily. Uh, luckily, we had a, a hugely success, a huge success rate, about 75% success rate of streamlining children with autism into regular scholastic programs and having them develop like normal children. Well, that's a beautiful thing. Somewhat familiar with the spectrum itself, what is something, the earlier the better? Absolutely. Is there a point in which it's too late age-wise? for? Um, you, you can always do good for sure uh, in, in terms of getting, getting them streamlined into uh, academic programs. Three, three years old is generally kind of the, where, where you want to have them by. Sure. Subsequent to that, it, it gets a little more challenging for sure. Interesting. Why it's sounding nicer and nicer, obviously doing good work for the community, helping children. These are all great things. 
but maybe you need some time to yourself to go surf, Chris? Is that what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, economics came into play again. Yeah. And uh, looking at another eight years, you know, to get a PhD or something right. of that nature, another eight years and loans and, and all that sort of stuff, uh, you know, it, it, it wasn't looking, uh, at the time, it looked like a long time. Looking back on it, it's like, oh, eight years, that's right, nothing, right? right? That's but that, at that time, man, time is always better when you're younger. Oh, yeah. And it, it seems longer. Yeah, it does. Seems longer. And, and ultimately, I met my wife. So In so, Texas so or in? Yes. She was uh, in Houston. We worked at a restaurant together. She was my manager. I was somewhat the head server at a restaurant. She in was Houston. dipping the pen, Chris? Uh, she, the company, Inc. That's she, she has a master's degree in hotel and restaurant <laughs> management from University of Houston. So that is everything against anything that she uh, had ever learned. Sure. So she, she, uh, she was adamantly opposed to, to dating the, the help, as it were. <laughs> Luckily, she had a twin sister who would... Frequent the restaurant. That's a beautiful. Well, to, to, you know. Sorry, I'm not psych- trying to jump ahead, but I'm just, my mind's running wild. Back to psychology. <laughs> uh, flirting with her twin sister in front of her was highly effective. <laughs> <laughs> was that a very deliberate strategy? Absolutely. You shrewd bastards, you. I moved in with both of them two months later. Into See, a house now you're in the even Heights taking it in <laughs> <laughs> She, you guys fell probably pretty quickly after that, then. Oh, uh, things, yeah, things progress relatively quickly. I, I, I don't know if it was her, her being as much into me as I was into her, or she just wanted to get a family started. I see. <laughs> <laughs> You're a tall guy. You look pretty, pretty virile. I think this will work out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, well, and you have a beautiful son now, which is great. Yes, which, which kind of brings us to Hawaii. Uh, so, so, yeah, getting out to Hawaii, um, which, which is where he was born, by oh. the way. So he, my son was born on Maui. Conceived in Houston? He conceived in, in Maui, delivered on Maui. <laughs> that's a good, I mean, it's a good story. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so, so, yeah, she, again, back to her background, she got an opportunity to be a director of food and beverage at one of the top resorts on, in, in Hawaii, yeah. namely on Lanai, the island of Lanai. So that's what ultimately took us out to, to, uh, to Hawaii. In fact, we came home from our honeymoon, and in fact, we got married here in Austin. No way. Yeah, at the Lady Bird Johnson Wildflower Center. Beautiful. So we wanted to be outside of Houston. We used to work at a place that was known for, for, uh, for weddings, etc. And yeah. we wanted to be outdoors, and there's really nowhere else in Houston to do it. So we had to get here. Uh, nevertheless, we, we went on our honeymoon, and literally, I would say, five minutes after we walked through the door, Jessica, my wife, got a call. And it was from an acquaintance of her, who was general manager of this resort, offered her the director of food and beverage position. Wow. It took me all of about half a second to say yes to moving to Hawaii. What did you envision yourself doing in Hawaii? I'd think beach bumming, some pina coladas. I mean, just for a little while, anyway. Well, on the island that we were moving to, I had in my sights a director of beverage position that I really wanted. As well. So, oh. so there, was, uh, there were two resorts. I wanted to be the director of beverage at the other. Unfortunately, I had to stay behind and wrap things up, sell cars, get things packed, right. etc. Uh, by the time I got out there, that position was filled. Uh, so that wasn't available. Um, so that all of a sudden crushed that idea. But yes, at the same time, I was swimming with dolphins in the wild on the weekends and, and that sort of thing on Lanai. So. Is it as picturesque as one might think? It can be. Yeah. Depends on where you're at. Lanai, absolutely. 
uh, you know, certainly parts of uh, other islands get a little populated, and it's almost like being in Houston or Los mm-hmm. Angeles. So, you know, it, it just depends on where you're at, but you can certainly find beauty in every island, for sure. I still haven't been. I need to go. Highly recommend it. Uh, you know, they, they don't give trips away out there by any means. But I uh, can only find a way to do that, to get trips. <laughs> Become an ambassador, perhaps. Absolutely. Then they'll find now out. you're talking. Right, now you're talking. Group. All right, now John, can you take notes? <laughs> Justifying to, to the money men that you need to be in Hawaii is often very challenging, however. Being persuasive, though, is something I quite enjoy Absolutely. diving down that road. This is where you got involved with wine, then, on the island. Correct. So, so the bottom line with, with that other position out there that I didn't get is they offered me a, uh, a position as an outlet manager um, working six days a week, 14-hour shifts, no breaks, making half of what the servers make, oh. which I quickly turned down. said, I'll serve tables for you, no right. problem. You know, I'd, I'd prefer that as opposed you know, to this, unfortunately, thankless position. Sure. Uh, and at that point, I got blacklisted, and no one on the island would hire me. Wait, so you said no once. Correct. And then you're on a list. That's right. Is this a common thing? Uh, yes. Island... Uh, was 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 not very diverse ethnically it was about 90 percent one one ethnicity i see and uh if you're not uh in with the crew and especially if you're new to the crew and there's only 3,000, 3,500 maybe people on the island right right uh you know a lot different than living in austin or houston of course kind of like paying your dues in a sense maybe yeah yeah you've got to you've got to work your way in which we ultimately did and all was well but initially no I, i didn't have a job for about three months and then uh, one of my mentors in the industry ultimately was over on the island and selling to my wife, being the director of food and beverage, and they were looking for a fine wine specialist on the west side of Maui, which I ultimately became. How was that, that chapter? Nice one? Um, absolutely one of the best experiences of my life. Yeah. Uh, taking a, a ferry, 45-minute ferry ride over to Maui daily, with dolphins jumping and whales breaching. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start tearing up here, Chris. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're, it's very muggy out right now with lots of grayness. So. I, I, I covered a, about a 10-mile stretch on the west side of Maui, um, which was, was an amazingly brilliant uh, uh, territory with, with uh, many huge resorts, the Ritz-Carlton, etc., out there, Weston, um, many others, Hyatt, etc. But... Uh, yeah, drink, literally drinking wine in Hawaii all day. Um, and then taking the ferry back with the sun setting behind Lanai and, you know, maybe having a beer. I drink beer at the end of the day. Everyone's That's like, aren't you the wine guy? You scale down, right? Well, yeah. I guess that the book would read as you write your autobiography in your later years, I drank wine in Hawaii all day. <laughs> <laughs> That's a beautiful sentiment. I just, I, I can't wrap my head around I, it. I, I'd like to get back to that at some point. I think that it's very feasible. But as I read on the Craft Distillers site, it seems like your boss found you, that he picked you out of the lot and said, you're the golden boy, Mr. Stevens. Somewhat. I, I, you know, I had some exposure to him, um, as I did a lot of suppliers, you know, certainly being in that sort of position. You're, you network with a lot of people. And, uh, in fact, I, it, 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 it came down to my wife wanting to get back to the mainland, yeah. closer to her family. And, ultimately, we needed better resources for our child. Who, uh, you know, Hawaii, unfortunately, for all its beauty, 
there there are some limitations. One, it's the most you know remote landmass in the world. Sure. So, uh, healthcare, schooling, etc., is is fairly limited. I didn't realize that. Yeah. So we, we knew that we needed to get back at some point for uh, for Austin, my son, to to grow up. Uh, but I, I did it grudgingly, and I networked grudgingly <laughs> and, and slowly to find the right position. Uh, <laughs> So <laughs> I make that noise because I think we know <laughs> what the noise means, right? All right. Yeah, it was tough. I, I did delay it at one point. Uh, basically, I, I got Jessica to move to the Big Islands, so we relocated there for yeah. about a year and a half. But that was about the extent of it, and then, then we had to get back. So, so where did this? Was this when you moved into Colorado? Yes. So I, I, had, I actually initially accepted uh, a position with another company. I uh, took an interview with my current company on a whim. I was actually flying into Vegas to be in one of my good friend's weddings. Yeah. And my current uh, boss had flew in to snag me in the airport on the way to sit me down and, and you know put their offer on the table. And it destroyed the offer of the other company. And it wasn't economically. Right. The other company offered much more economically. It was more the position and the products. The, art, the artistic nature of it, perhaps? Maybe the cultural impact? A- absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And that starts from the top. It starts with our founder, Ansley Cole, who's Buddhist. And oh, wow. uh, he, he sets the tone for everything within our company. That's beautiful. Where does he reside now? Where's he living? Um, he has a 2,000-acre ranch in Mendocino County, beautiful. which he bought in 1974. Uh, and uh, that's where Germain Robin was, was formed and, and uh, spawned, as it were. Oh, that's beautiful. Does that calmness, that centeredness, has that rubbed off? I mean, to me, you seem very centered and very calm already. But was that something, that culture coming top down that is driven by Buddhism, which I fully think is a beautiful thing, did that affect you at all? Did that change the way that maybe your temperament was? Um, I've always been somewhat uh, relaxed and laid back. I just uh, happened to fit into this culture, which, again, is back to part of what made it more appealing. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we, we certainly do things in a different way. And it's, it's more caring about the product, caring about the people who are experiencing it, and not trying to make you think you're sexy if you drink it. Right, which is a very noble thing <laughs> in a world in which lots of people are trying to do just the opposite. But you know what's nice is that Mescalera, which you're here at Las Perlas, Austin, to, talk, to guide us through this unprecedented flight, if you will, this experience. Before we, you even showed up, people were talking about Mescalero. It's like Kaiser Sose, in a good way. They, it's this character that has this personality, this cachet already before you even walk into a room, and you can hardly even get the bottles. you got to look really, really deeply to try to find them. Is that kind of nice that you've got, you've got your guys that will work for Mescal every bit of the time, but then you have those unsung heroes that are truly cult favorites? Absolutely, and, and, and that is somewhat by design for a number of reasons. Yeah. One... Uh, you know, when, you, when you're talking batch distillation, and specifically with Wild McGay, yeah. you, you can't keep a consistent Wild McGay release, right. which certainly many brands try to do. Um, and, and by all means, there's plenty of great stuff out there. But, um, you know, we, we wanted to keep it small for, for a number of reasons. One, you can't replicate. Even if you've got Joel Antonio Cruz making Mezcalero 1 and 4 and 7, each one of those batches, even if you use the same McGay, you know, two years later, it's right. going to be completely different, just like vintages and wine. Absolutely. We're different. 
their performance is captured in a singular moment. And that's the thing that I love about Mezcal. So that is by design the perennial and kind of the snapshot essence of McGay at a certain time and place. Definitely, definitely. And the first release was 120 bottles. So Texas actually got six bottles. That's it. That was six bottles of the number you know, one we're release. We're a pretty big state. We probably, well, I think we've proved now that we are a bigger market. Yeah? Well, I, well, no, it's just oh, that was all there oh, was. was However, um, you know, just for export outside of California, of course, being our home market. And I wanted more by all means. Uh, I, I hand sold every one of those bottles here in Austin. And, and unfortunately, my distributor at the time ha- couldn't figure out how to d- distribute them. So they actually went undistributed, sat in their warehouse for th- half the case, sat in the warehouse for a couple years oh, no. until I found them. And then uh, two disappeared. And then one I tried to purchase myself through a, through a, a friendly retailer here in, in Austin. And uh, the distributor broke it in, in, in their delivery oh, of, of, of the bottle. So, yeah, really, really rare stuff. It's been an uphill battle. <laughs> but people now, almost 10 years later in this role with craft distillers, how is the perception, the openness, the transparency around Mezcal now versus 10 years ago? In, in, in terms of us or in terms of the, the industry the, as a whole? general industry, yeah. Yeah, general industry, it's, it's, well, it's opened up immensely. I mean, when we started, it was, you know, it, it, I think it was, of course, Del Maguey. Uh, it was us with, with Danzantes and now Nahuales and, and I think Sombra came along. And of course, oh, you've, yeah, got, you've got uh, Scorpion, of course, and um, you've got... Uh, Monte, Monte Alban. Yeah, right? Monte Alban, right? But uh, which, of course, everyone assumed Mezcal was because they saw Urban Cowboy or something. But it didn't have a worm. It wasn't Mezcal. People still say that shit to me. I'm like, all right, man. Brutal. It's, it's brutal. Brutal. <laughs> First thing I did, any, any un, un, uh, uninitiated uh, person to Mezcal, I, I say, critter in a bottle, don't drink it. Yeah, that actually is a great indication. You should just stay away. <laughs> Ex- you know, I, do you ever watch, we were just talking about 80s movies, of course, I got to go on this tangent. Poltergeist 2. Did you ever sure. See? Remember Craig T. Nelson, and once he drinks that worm, it turns into a big monster? <laughs> How could anybody think that was a good thing? <laughs> it's a horrible thing. I think that would scar everyone. That's exactly <laughs> right. Well, I guess it just goes to show how many people, that, rather how many few people watch that. <laughs> you just scare me. You just brought back something I'd repressed. <laughs> I was like, whoa, I've forgotten about that. I know. I just have this stupid, uncanny ability to bring everybody's nightmares back. It's, <laughs> there's a movie coming. There's a, there's a movie idea in there. Indeed. It's like Freddy Better Cougar. graphics now. Oh, totally. <laughs> so we have this amazing fight this evening. And you as a conduit to Mezcal, a conduit to the people and the places of each of these bottles we'll be tasting, which, again, unprecedented, I say that, because I want everybody to really embrace how limited edition, I guess you could call these bottles, how few of them there are. What are a few objectives for you that you want us as an audience with you to experience this evening? First and foremost is to, to understand... You know, the, the, the place and the people, yeah. obviously, and, and the products and, and where they're coming from. Um, and, and the secondary would be, you know, our, our intent in the whole process, which isn't to make money. It's to have those people make money. Yeah. And, and in fact, in, in our processes, we've, you know, we've had MBA students, 20 MBA students from Yale, for example, come down to investigate the socioeconomic impact, things like Ali Poos. Yeah. Uh, and, and Mezcalero being part of that uh, project as well. 
um, are having on these individual villages, which is significant. It, it's really significant. So back to our founder, that was his whole intent with even creating the, the Mezcalero brand to yeah. begin with, uh, is, is to draw, you know, draw this amazingly crafted product that, which is interwoven in just the fabric of these, these individuals' lives and, and, and bring it to the forefront uh, for them to, to make a living off of it and not have to just turn to, to be corn farmers right. or whatever it is. Not right? ditch the McGay. I mean, that's how it is in tequila, right? Like, well, we're not making enough money, so we're going to go to corn. Corn isn't the same thing. It's so different culturally. So from a man who is centered and has peace, he wants to give back to humanity, it sounds like. Absolutely. Not to, like, speak too too. No, that, no that's it, absolutely it. Like, it. And yeah. it's, it's his favorite place. He's down there, you know, probably... Three, four, five times a year. Yeah, um, he's, he frequents uh, Oaxaca and uh, does a walk across the desert uh, from Mexico City in his bare feet over really? a multiple day period, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. Quite, quite a profound individual. I, w- I have to meet him. I've, it's a, I've I would highly recommend him. it. Yeah. He's, he's, uh, he's How an often do you cat. get to see him? Um, get to see him uh, is rarely. You know, maybe once, twice a year. Yeah. But I was just on the phone with him on the plane. You know, right. before I flew here today. Keeping in touch. Any dark horses, unreleased tracks, B-sides that we've got in this flight tonight that we wouldn't be expecting? Well, I mean, we, we've added, and, and this is actually a, a common one here in Texas, Mezcalero 12, but that is a special one because I actually negotiated uh, Mezcalero 12 to be an exclusive to Texas. Oh, really? So that's why it's been around for so long here. Everyone else, you know, when I go up to Illinois, which is a, you know, one of my bigger markets, that yeah. uh, certainly a lot of supporters of Mezcalero up Cars there. Big, yeah. And uh, they've all been very upset with me ever since <laughs> I, I took 12 down here, and no one's been able to get a bottle up there. So We're pretty brilliant here, though, Chris. You've got a Mezcal Reviews. Tyler and Johnny are here. I mean, there's a great community for it. You know what? And I'm going to say it. And if this is like a whole White Sox fucking cubs thing that's fine <laughs> austin has a better mezcal community than chicago mm. i'm saying it you do not have to chime in i don't want you to mm. let me take the punch for it but i've got beers raising to salute that sentiment interesting i think it is we're closer they're our neighbors after all fair enough fair <laughs> enough uh yeah I'll, I'll plead the fifth there I, I, I will argue that they they both both places have phenomenal programs many amazing places your diplomacy. So not so <laughs> yes amazing. that's good but uh you know so, some people getting it some people aren't as with anything and i feel very privileged and i feel very lucky to sit down and chat with you and have access to such beautiful this let I me mean, be above anything else no matter where you are here in austin the culture has allowed us to do this and us having this community and just this collaboration with each other and I, I was reading that Bill Norris is not in town. He's going to be quite upset Indeed. about it. Yes, yes. I'm going to have to rub it in well, just a little bit. For <laughs> well, I, I, I offered doing one at his house oh, uh, maybe man. next time. So you'll have to be invited to that. It would be lovely. But, but back to that point and uh, in, in, in your point about it being so rare, this is actually the first time I've ever seen a vertical tasting of Mezcalero open to the public. Yeah. I've been part of many, in fact, back to Chicago and aviary. I did a, a staff training there okay. well, that's, a that's number fair. of years ago, right, from... <laughs> Literally number one to, I think at that time it was, I, I don't know, maybe up to eight, nine, somewhere. But, uh, but I do have a friend in Kansas City, one, a close friend in the industry, and, and a big influence on me in terms of Mezcal in general. Uh, he has the greatest collection of Mezcalero of anybody in the world, period. Really? 
Um, and he has cases of each, starting at number one. Uh, so I, I've done the whole vertical with him multiple times. But. I think, I mean, the, the tears kind of started to come out. <laughs> They're percolating, right? That is an amazing thing. So I got two questions left for you because, you know, you got to warm up, you got to do your lifts, or your biceps punch through the, before you're on stage here with this whole Mescal crew. So let's say you were talking about Mescalero number two, I think it was, before we started. Was it two or four that we were talking about? One, one four, and seven, all, all coming from Joel and Tony Perfect. Cruz. So, so number four, you're at any, anywhere in the world, and you're sipping Mescalero number four. Who would you love to have a conversation with, with anybody living or deceased? Sit there, sip, and wax poetic about life. Hmm. That's a good question. Uh, many people come to mind, but uh, probably the most uh, intriguing to me would, would be one, one of my two grandfathers, yeah. um, maybe both. Uh, but there is one specifically, my dad's father, who passed away when I was two or three. So yeah. obviously I didn't get a chance to, to get to know him or meet him. And that's kind of a, a blank spot in, in understanding of, of myself and, and certainly that portion of my family. Absolutely. So, so being able to have that conversation with him and uh, that exposure to his experience and understanding of his life would be, would be great. The connection to the past helps us understand the future. Absolutely. Most important. Well, my last question for you before you're off into the wild with the rest of this media charade that there's people with <laughs> to talk to you. <laughs> I was listening back to, and we were talking about this, this, this interview with Graciela Angeles from Real Minero, and she said... I haven't been able to prove it, but mezcal has a psychological impact on people, especially those who are creative, those who write, those who compose. What do you feel? How do you feel about that? I agree 100%. Uh, you know, there, many people talk about it, those that know mezcal and have, has, have experienced it enough. Um, it, it's uplifting. It's, it's much different. It's not a depressant like all other alcohol. It, right. it's, it's uplifting and energetic. And by all means, I, I mentioned how I'm very mathematically minded, very black and white. It absolutely opens me up and, 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 and helps me to think more creatively. I, I agree 100% with that. That's an amazing lubricant for creativity. Adding it to the list of the other benefits, <laughs> the massive list already. Yes, quite, quite the list. But uh, I'm, I'm finding amongst alcohol... Uh, it's really the only way to go. And, I, and I'm, I find myself quite unhappy when I mix it with anything else. Yeah. I, I like, to, like to get pure, may, maybe a beer here and there, but yeah. uh, mezcal is really where it's at and like to stay away from the rest. Mezcal is the way to go. See? Perfect way to wrap this thing. <laughs> and we've got a nice evening ahead of us with this beautiful vertical. And, Chris, thank you so much for joining me. And thanks for being in Austin, man. We'll thank you, you immensely for your time yeah, it's and been the opportunity. Time. Sipping mezcal with you, this is how it's done. So... Talk soon. Thank you so much. Well, there we have it. Mr. Christopher Stevens of Craft Distillers, Inc. brings some of the finest mezcals and spirits into the States. You know, if you have not had one of the, I think they're up to about 22, 23 marks now, one of the Mescalero blends, single varietals as well, they are some of the finest mezcales that you will ever try. And Chris is not concerned about advertising. He's not concerned about social media. He's concerned about the people, the places, the flavors, and the amazing category of agave. 
And Chris, thanks so much for sitting on that amazing patio. You know, we've got the grill from Asador back there grilling some meat. You got some birds chirping. It's like being in a real true open air market. It's a great experience to sit down and chat with you. So thanks everybody for listening to Show to V with Mike G. No matter how difficult it is to make corn tortillas or if you're thinking, man, I don't know what to go see in the theater next. Perhaps I'll just sit and binge Netflix once again. Please keep dancing. <laughs>